0: Good morning. Come on in and find a seat. We're going to get started this morning with our New Year's Eve service. It's really just a service that happens to fall on New Year's Eve. Um, but we're, we're glad you're all here. Welcome to, to all of you with kids and families, everybody together. I love Sundays like this when we can gather together as the, the full church family to worship. Uh, so we'll come on in, grab a seat. We'll get started here. You know, I was looking at the calendar, and I realized that uh, the first day of 2023 was a Sunday, and the last day of 2023 is also a Sunday. So we have the privilege of we got to gather together for worship to start the year, and now we get to gather together for worship to close the year. So, so I'm excited to do that with you all. Uh, as we get started, let's uh, let's just bow our heads in a moment of silent prayer and reflection. Isaiah declares, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And So Father, as we come to praise you this morning, as we come to to end this year as a church family by worshiping you, as we uh, look ahead to a, a new year to come, Lord, help us not to turn from you our everlasting rock. Help us to trust in you forever. To know the perfect peace that comes from having our minds stayed on you, fixed on you. Turn us to yourself this morning, Lord, as we praise you, as we sing, as we study your word together. Unite us together in the fear and the awe of your holy name. And help us to trust in you in this next year. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, please stand and we'll worship together.
1: For pure and blameless in His sight He destined us to be, and now we've been adopted through His Son eternal. Who saves Come praise And glorify Our God Who gives his grace In Christ In him our sins Are washed away Redeemed through Sacrifice In him God has made known To us the will, that Christ should be the head of all his purpose to fulfill. The Spirit guarantees our hope until redemption's done.
2: Until
1: we join in endless praise to God, the three to the. to the bridge. My burden gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Then sings my soul My Savior How great Thou art, how great Thou art When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation And take me home, what joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow in humble adoration. How great Thou art, how great Thou
0: art.
2: Amen. Please be seated.
0: Amen. Well, we have just a little bit of housekeeping here, a few end-of-the-year announcements as we continue on in our worship service. Just two things to highlight for us as we come to the end of this year, as we anticipate a new one. The month, the month of January, is going to be an exciting, important time here in the life of our church. So I just want to highlight two things for us. First is uh, we have our annual meeting planned for Sunday, January 28th. This is going to be after the worship service. So that Sunday, the 28th, that last Sunday in January, we'll have our worship service at 10:30. Then afterwards, we'll have our, our annual meeting in here a few minutes afterwards. Now I say annual meeting and that sounds like a little dry, it sounds like it's you know, a business meeting and there's, there's, there's business things we'll be talking about, we'll be talking about the, the giving report from 2023, we'll be talking about our two proposals for 2024, our proposal for the budget, our proposal for the reserves, so there'll be some important uh, things like that, that if you're a member or if you're an attender here, you're just interested in those things, it's really important to come and hear from the elders about some of those things. But even more than that, the, the privilege of getting together for a meeting like that at the end of January is, is that we get to come together as a church body, as a church family, and we get to reflect on God's goodness and grace to us this past year in, in life and in ministry and how he's grown things and what he's done. And then we also get to talk together about plans and goals for the next year. So this is a really, really important thing to be at in the life of our church, and it's a really joyful thing. It's not a fraught thing. It's not a scary thing. Like, oh, we're going to vote. Oh, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about budgets. What's going to happen? This is a great privilege that we get to have. That we get to get together to celebrate God's faithfulness. To talk about ministry and opportunities we'll have in the new year. We'll get the chance to affirm some some elders to our elder team. And uh, in light of that, we've been taking nominations this this past couple months. That nomination period is closed. And based on the, some of the nominations we've got as elders, we've decided to, to look to affirm three uh, spots on that elder team at that meeting in January, so we'll be doing that. And so there's very vital, important things we get to do together as a church, right? The church is, is a group of people in Christ who we get to serve and, and live and worship together. And this meeting is a reminder that the joy, the privilege of ministry, it's not just something that I get to do as a pastor or our staff gets to do or our elders get to do. It's something we participate in together. And so this annual meeting, or you can think about it as a ministry meeting or as a church family meeting, it's going to be a time where we'll gather together on the 28th of January to think about these things, to pray about these things. And so we want to invite you to be a part of it. We want to invite you to take seriously the opportunity we have to to join in these things together and uh, to come together as a church family. And, and we know it's, it's a lot to come on a Sunday and to stay afterwards for another meeting, but uh, we're gonna provide food, we're gonna provide refreshments and, and, uh, and provide that. So we know that we'll be eating into lunchtime there, but we think it's a really important thing. So if, if you have that Sunday free, especially if you're a member, we encourage you to come. But if you're not a member, you're invited and encouraged to come as well because again, this is a time we'll be celebrating God's faithfulness. We'll be talking about uh, plans and purposes and ministries for the new year. So that'll be our annual meeting on January 28th, and then, uh, secondly, this morning in, in the month of January, we are also going to be launching a new uh, class. A new class in the month of January. It's going to be a class with two sessions, and we're just calling this class. It's just going to be called Tough Texts. Tough Texts, right? So this is going to be a class on the tough texts of Scripture. When you open your Bible and you start your Bible reading plan in the month of January, you you know you go through and you come across some of these tough or more challenging passages in the Bible, and Sometimes that's really your Bible reading plan goes to, get, goes to die, right? You get to passages in Leviticus or parts of Genesis or Numbers or wherever, and you think, what is going on here? And so we want to do in the New Year is offer a class and on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings just to gather together to, to look at some of these tough passages in the Bible because we believe that God's Word is sufficient. We believe that God has given us His Spirit to help us make sense of His Word. And so we can come together and study it, even the, the passages that might seem scary or tricky or challenging. Um, and the desire there is to get together with these passages to learn how to study the Bible better ourselves, but also to learn how we can uh, share it with our, our kids, how we can share it with our family, um, how we can address some of these questioning, you know, questions or challenges that come from these texts with our teenage kids or with our, our neighbors who are curious uh, about these things. And so we'll be, we'll be launching this class. It'll start uh, Wednesday, uh, January 10th, and Sunday, January 14th. So we'll have two sessions, one on Wednesday nights, one on Sunday mornings. Um, and each week it'll be the same passage, right? So you don't have to go to both. But if Wednesday nights works better for you, you can go to that one. If Sunday mornings works better for you at 9, you can come to that. Um, we'll, be, we'll be discussing it. We want to give people as many opportunities as we can to see that the Bible, there's a way to make sense of some of these challenging passages in Scripture, and that actually, as we study them, we get a greater picture of God's glory and His grace in Christ. So we'll be starting those two sessions out on Wednesday, January 10th at 6.30, and, and Sunday, January 14th at 9, and then we'll just keep that going for a season on Wednesdays and Sundays. I also want to invite you as we launch that class, if there are particular passages of the Bible that you find tough or challenging that have caused you to, to struggle or make you curious in the past, we want to invite you to share those. You know, you can go to our website. You can contact us through the website. You can send me an email at cderbin at You can look at our bulletin for contact info, and I invite you, if there's a passage of scripture you've always wondered about that you'd like to be added to the, the curriculum for that class, send it to us, and we'd love to address it together. So we want to invite you to help us build out the curriculum for that class with tough texts that you yourself may have been curious about or may have struggled with. So that's the announcements for this morning, annual meeting January 28th, our tough texts class starting Wednesday uh, the 10th and Sunday the 14th. Uh, There's other things to pay attention to in the bulletin at our website, weymouthchurch.com. But as we consider all these things, as we continue in worship, please join me for a time of prayer together. Well, Father, we come to you this morning coming out of or even still in the midst of a season of, of busyness as we've been celebrating Christmas, as we now celebrate today the, the end of the year, the start of a new year, Lord. So in the midst of all that, all the, the times we've had seeing family and friends, all the uh, excitement about the new year or even fear of the new things to come this year, new challenges, new opportunities, new struggles. Lord, in, in light of all of these things, we ask that you'll help us to, to, no, to turn our eyes to you, to set our eyes on Christ, to know the peace that comes from trusting in you alone. Lord, help us to turn aside from the idols that we've trusted in this past year. Help us to turn aside from all the other hopes, all the other things we've looked to, to find peace instead of you. Help us to remember Jesus, our shepherd king, who was born to deliver us into your presence, to deliver us into your life and your joy and your peace. Help us to rest in and rejoice in him together this morning and and let him be our foundation as we embark on this new year. And as we do so, we ask that you'll be a help to those who who are struggling with sickness, struggling uh, with challenges and and hardship as they enter this year, that have had a a hard week with, with physical challenges or mental and emotional challenges during the holidays. Lord, we just pray that you'll bring light into the darkness that so many of us face that you'll remind us of the hope and peace of Christ. And Lord, we lift this morning in particular Bill Frederic, as he goes in for surgery this Wednesday for his heart. We pray that that'll go well, that'll be successful, um, that, that you'll give the doctor's wisdom and skill to, to do what needs to be done there, that you'll help him to recover quickly. We pray for that to go well. We pray for others who might be anticipating surgeries or treatments or uh, other physical health issues in this coming year. Help us to come alongside them as a church family to encourage them with your love and your peace. And we pray this morning that the, the worship we share together, the, the truth we look at in your word, that it'll, it'll mark us, it'll change us, it'll take root in our hearts and lead us to rejoice and rest in you as we celebrate the end of 2023 and start uh, 2024, Lord, with hope, with joy, and with peace that can only come in and through Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please stand, and we'll sing another song together.
1: Wonderful, merciful Savior Redeemer and friend Who would have thought That a lamb Could rescue The souls of men Oh, you Rescue the souls
2: for your healing and your grace. We, we pray that you would be here with us this morning and that you would <coughs> enter into our hearts and, and that you would work in them and, and use your word this morning as we continue in, in worship of you, Lord, that we would just focus in on you today and that you um, you would be the center of our attention now and, and all the days of our life, Lord. I pray that we would we would learn to come and love you all throughout all throughout the day, um, Lord. Even though we are broken sinners, Lord, you still love us, and we thank you for that, Lord. Pray that you be with Pastor Chris as he comes to deliver your word this morning. Um, pray that you would just um, bring all his preparation into uh, into fruition, Lord. I pray that uh, that we would center our hearts on you here now, Lord. Pray all in your name.
0: Amen. Thank you, AJ. You may be seated. Thank you all. So, I invite you to turn once again your Bibles to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. We are continuing on here in our series in Micah. We uh, read through the first uh, half of chapter 5 last week on Christmas Eve and looked at the promised shepherd king from Bethlehem who was born to deliver his people. And then uh, this morning we'll finish chapter 5. We'll look at verses 7 through 15. Here. And we've been going through Micah, who's one of the minor prophets who's preaching to the people of Judah about the judgment, the salvation of God, the hope, and in this promised deliverer. So, this has been a great book to spend some time in over, over Christmas now into the new year. We'll, we'll keep going. We'll finish Micah. And then after that, we're going to move, God willing, to the book of 1 Peter. And we'll, we'll spend the, the, the first couple months of the year in 1 Peter talking about uh, what it means to be elect exiles. In the world as those who follow Christ, so that's where we're going. God willing, over the next couple of weeks and months. But in the morning, in this morning, please uh, follow along as I read for us Micah five verses seven to fifteen. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations. In the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hands shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and I will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your asherah and images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this chance to study it together. So help us now to see more clearly who you are, who we are, and all that you've done for us in Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, over the past few weeks and months even, Uh, It's been a busy season for uh, Amazon trucks and UPS trucks, right? I don't know if you noticed that. I actually noticed that in my neighborhood. I feel like I saw more Amazon trucks, more UPS trucks in the last couple weeks than I saw the entire year leading up to it. Because that's what happens around Christmas time, right? We see these trucks of of packages being delivered. We get more mail than any other time during the year. Many of us went online and ordered gifts and, and presents that we hoped would be a blessing to our our family and friends. And then at Christmas, we got to, to give them, we got to share these delivered blessings with those that we love. And I thought about that this week because Micah 5 here, verses 7 to 15, it's also focused on delivered blessings. But the blessings here in this text are not delivered presents, but delivered people. Because in this passage, Micah, he is sharing God's promise That the remnant, the the, the remaining people of Israel, who God promises to rescue even out of exile and judgment, that God is going to one day use them to make them a blessing to the nations. That they will be delivered by God in order to be a blessing to the world. But in order to be this blessing to the nation, God's people first need to be delivered. They need to be delivered. And so as we study this text we will find that this deliverance and blessing of this remnant that God promises here it actually points us to the greater deliverance to the ultimate blessing that God has worked out in and through Christ. We saw last week how in the first half of this chapter Micah he promises the coming of a shepherd king who is going to be born to deliver his people. We saw how Christ is that shepherd king born in Bethlehem to bring God's deliverance, to bring God's blessing to his people. And then this morning in the second half of the chapter, we see how God's people then are delivered to bless. That in Christ, God's people are delivered to bless the world. And we'll see how this argument breaks down in the text by looking first at verse seven where we see the blessing of God's people and then at verses 8 to 15 where we see the deliverance of God's people. So look with me at just the, the verse 7 here, this first verse in the section here where we see the blessing of God's people. Because what's going on is so far in Micah, God has promised judgment and exile on his people for their sin and their idolatry. But he has also promised to them salvation that is going to come, that is going to come for a remnant, for a remaining group of people in Judah who God is going to rescue even out of exile through a shepherd king who is going to come from Bethlehem. In verse 7 here, uh, Micah uses powerful, beautiful imagery to describe what it is going to look like for the world when God's remnant has been rescued, when they have been delivered and restored through this shepherd king. Micah promises that this remnant will will be in the midst of many peoples, in the midst of people from every nation. They will be like dew from the Lord. They will be like showers on the grass. Now remember here that Micah, he's prophesying in Jerusalem. He's prophesying in in the Middle East, in the midst of a desert climate. And so in that kind of climate, in the midst of that kind of dry environment, dew and rain were a big deal. It was a big deal when you woke up in the morning and there was dew on the ground. It was a big deal when it rained and and watered your crops in that kind of climate. Dew and rain were a much bigger deal for the people in Jerusalem in Micah's day than they are for us today here in tropical Medina. I forget who told me that. Somebody referred to Medina as tropical Medina, which is kind of true to me because I come from you know north on the east side up by the lake. So down here, it's like maybe two to three degrees warmer than where I was the last 10 years of my life. So it does feel kind of tropical here. But, you know, we're used to rain. We're used to sleet, We're used to these gross, watery, wet weather all the time. But in Jerusalem, in Micah's day, dew and rain, we're actually seen as great blessings from the Lord. Think about people in California in times of droughts, what a blessing rain is to them. That it can come to bring life back to their grass. It can allow their, their vegetation to flourish in a harsh environment. And Micah is saying, This is how this redeemed remnant will be to the world. That the people of God, when they are rescued from their exile and their judgment by this shepherd king, they will be a life giving dew to the dry ground of the nations. They will be a shower of sustaining rain upon the grass of the world. See, God's rescue of his remnant, it's not just going to be a blessing for them. It's not just going to be a good gift for them. God's rescue of this remnant will actually result in blessing for the entire world. And here, Micah, he's picking up a theme. He's picking up a promise from earlier in the Bible, from the book of Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, we read about how God calls a man named Abram. He calls him to go and leave his land, his father's house, and go to a land that God is going to show him. And Abram trusts God, and God promises Abram in verses 2 to 3, he says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God came to Abram, and his name was changed to Abraham to reflect the fact that God promised to bless him by making him the father of many nations. He's going to make Abraham's family into a great nation, but this wouldn't be a gift, a blessing, just for Abraham and his family alone. He says that through Abraham's family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That through Abraham, through this new people, God is going to bless the entire world. And so then the people of Judah, the people to whom Micah is prophesying, They were the descendants of Abraham. They were uh, part of this great nation that God built from Abraham, the people of Israel. And even though this people sinned against God again and again and again, even though they had run headlong into idolatry and injustice, Micah's declaration to them is that God is still going to keep his promise to Abraham. That even though they failed him again and again and again, even though he's bringing judgment and exile against them, he is still going to use them ultimately to be a blessing to the world, like dew in a desert, like rain on a grass. God is going to use the remnant of his people after he redeems and rescues them to bring life and flourishing to the world, to lead them to share God's blessing with the world. You see, God's promises to his people, his promises to his church, they were never meant to terminate with us. His plan was not just to bless one people or just to bless one nation, but to work through this people to bring his blessing to the entire world. And this plan, this promise, it found its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. In Christ, Abraham's greatest descendant who was born out of this remnant, Who came from heaven to earth like rain to the grass. Who came to bring living water to the dry desert of our sinful hearts. He came to create a new people in himself. A new people who would be a blessing to the whole world. But in order to do this, in order to bring this deliverance, in order to bring this blessing, Christ would first have to accomplish it. He'd have to purchase for us this deliverance, purchase this blessing Would have to deliver us so that we could be a blessing to the world. And this then is what Micah promises for God's people as well. He says that before God's people can be a blessing to the world, we have to be delivered. And specifically, Micah promises that God will make his people a blessing to the world by delivering them both from their enemies and also from their idols. From their enemies and also their idols. And this then gets us into the deliverance of God's people in verses 8 to 15. Because once again, Micah, he uses powerful imagery in verse 8, imagery that both parallels and contrasts the imagery that he used in verse 7 of dew and rain. Micah declares that once again, uh, the remnant of God's people, they'll be among the nations. They will be in the midst of many peoples. But they will be in the midst of many peoples like a lion among the beasts of the forest like a young lion among flocks of sheep. And here, Micah, he's using savage imagery of power, of brutality, of conquest. He's describing God's people, this remnant, as an apex predator who are treading down, who are tearing apart the nations that oppose them. And this is quite the contrast from verse 7 where he pictured God's people as, as dew and as rain, as a source of blessing for the nations. Here in verse 8, Micah is promising that God's people are actually going to devour the nations. They're going to tear them apart. And so then how can Micah claim both pictures to be true? How can he put both these images right next to each other in the text? Well, we can make sense of this when we see that verse 7 is focused on the future condition of God's people, but verse 8 speaks to the present condition of God's people in the time of Micah. Verse 7 is about the future condition of God's people. Verse 8 is about the present condition of God's people. Because when Micah was making this prophecy, the people of Judah were facing down the nation of Assyria at their border. This powerful foreign empire that was going to attempt to invade them. And so this nation who had received God's promise to Abraham that he would make them a great nation, they were on the brink of total destruction and annihilation. And so God promises through Micah that even these powerful nations that are assembled against Judah, even a nation like Assyria is not strong enough to undo the promises of God. That God is ultimately going to deliver his people from their present enemies. And by doing so, he's going to allow them to ultimately become a blessing even to their enemies. Because by delivering his people from their earthly enemies here, by leading them to conquer their enemies like a lion among the beasts of the forest, God is going to preserve his promise to bless them. He's ultimately going to bring through this rescued remnant, he's going to bring one who will truly make his people able to be a blessing to the whole world. God is going to work powerfully to deliver his people from the nations so that he can ultimately make his people a blessing to the nations. They're going to be delivered to bless. And so we see here that there is no nation so powerful, no enemy so mighty, no hardship so great that it can defeat the promises of God for his people. Whatever you're facing today, Whatever challenges or fears or struggles this new year might bring, whatever it has in store for us, we can find comfort, we can find confidence, we can find hope and peace in the fact that God will always be faithful to his promises. Even when our circumstances look like the complete opposite, even when our own failures seem to undo everything God has promised for us, God is going to work in amazing, surprising ways to fulfill his faithful promises for his people. And we know this ultimately because not even the forces of sin and death were enough to keep God from bringing us ultimate deliverance and blessing in Christ. Not even the grave was strong enough to undo the plan and purposes of God. Think about that. Think about the things that you're facing. Think about the worst things you could possibly face. Think about the grave. And remember that Christ has experienced that. He experienced suffering and humiliation and pain to a magnitude we can never understand. He went into the grave. He died on the cross in our place to pay the price for our deliverance so that in him we can receive the blessing and the deliverance that that we don't deserve. He went into the grave, but then he rose again. He came back to life in victory over sin and death. Not even the grave, not even sin and death were enough to stop the plans and the promises of God because Jesus rose again. He rose in victory over these great enemies. And so in him, if we trust in him, then we are able to have a life and a salvation that is untouchable by the powers of this world. And so in him, we can offer his blessing to the world, no matter who, how they oppose us, no matter how they persecute us, no matter what fears or struggles we might be facing. We have an unshakable hope, we have an unshakable victory in the risen Christ. We have the ultimate example, the ultimate revelation of how God is always faithful to keep his promises. That nothing can stand against them. Because in Christ, God has already delivered us from our greatest enemies, from our enemies of sin and death, from the judgment that we deserve for our rebellion. So if we trust in Christ, if we trust in the Lion of Judah who has conquered these enemies, then we can rest in the fact that our deliverance is secure. There's nothing we can do to lose it. There's nothing that this world can do to take it away from us. And so we can share this hope, we can share this blessing with others, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our fears. If we are in Christ, then there is no external enemy that can hold us back. There's no external enemy that can undo the deliverance and the blessing that we receive, that we share in Christ the only things that could hold us back are the internal enemies, the idols of our hearts. But guess what? Christ has made a way for us to be delivered from those internal enemies as well. And that's what Micah is pointing to here in verses 10 to 15. Because not only do God's people need to be delivered from our earthly enemies, we also need to be delivered from our earthly idols after promising that he's going to make his people victorious over their enemies like a lion among beasts, God also goes on to promise that he himself is going to viciously deal with the idols of his people. He promises to cut off their horses and their chariots. He promises to to cut off their cities, to destroy their strongholds. Because it was these things that the people had been trusting in, they'd been trusting in their military might their chariots, their fortresses for security. And this is what initially led them into idolatry, into worshiping and trusting other gods besides the Lord. So God's going to tear those things down. He's going to cut those things off. God also promises to cut off all their involvement with sorcery, with divination, with fortune-telling. God is promising to remove from his people any attempt to control or predict the future apart from God. Any effort to trust in human sorcery instead of divine sovereignty. And finally then, God promises to destroy their carved images, to cast down their pillars and altars. And he says they shall no longer bow down to the works of their hands. Remember that back in Micah chapter 1, Micah declares that it was the idolatry of God's people their worship of created things rather than the creator. This was the reason that God was promising to judge them and send them into exile. But now we see here that the purpose of this judgment, the purpose of this exile, it's not merely punitive, it's ultimately restorative. God is working through this judgment, this discipline, this exile, not just to punish his people for their idolatry, but to deliver his people from bondage to their idols. To free them, to liberate them from bowing down to the works of their hands. You see, as our Creator, God knows the devastation, the destruction that are wrought when we bow down to the works of our hands instead of God. See, God hates our idols, these created things that we worship instead of God. He hates our idols not just because they're an affront to His holiness, but because He knows that our idols lead us into immorality and impurity and insecurity. He knows that they promise life, but they deliver death. They promise rest, but they deliver destruction. You see, we were made to find our life in security by bowing down before our creator, not our creations. To do the opposite is to go against our design. It's to wade into a world of disappointment and destruction. As Augustine put it famously in his confession to God, our hearts are are restless until they find their rest in you. God knows this. He knows how restless our hearts are. He knows the true rest that we need. And so he has compassion on those who language in bondage to idols. And so he will do whatever it takes. He will work however savagely he needs to work to uproot these idols from our hearts, to deliver us from these deadly things that demand our allegiance. Like a loving father who disciplines his child when they run into the street, so too God will discipline his children, his people, will deal even savagely with them if it means turning our hearts away from the the idols that lead us into death and destruction. And so God promises not just to deliver his people from their external enemies, but also to deliver his people from their internal enemies idols. And he doesn't just work to remove these idols from us. He also works, he's worked out a plan to replace these idols in our hearts. To replace them, to bring us back to the true worship of him alone. And he did this by sending his own son into the world. His own son who is the, his perfect image, the image of the invisible God who came into the world to show us the glory and the security that are found in God alone. See, Christ came into the world to win our hearts back to God, to lead us from our idols of self-salvation and self-fulfillment into the true rest that comes from trusting in Christ alone. And Jesus accomplished this deliverance by going to the cross, where he paid the full price, where he bore the vicious judgment of God that we deserve for our idolatry. And then he rose again so that in him we can find true rest. We can find true deliverance and salvation. We can find the true peace, the true life we were made for. That comes not from trusting in ourselves or something in the world, but comes from trusting and worshiping God alone. And it is only when we find this rest, it is only when we find this deliverance in Christ from our enemies of sin and death, from the idols that lead us into destruction. It's only when we find this through faith that we can truly then become a blessing to the world. It is only in Christ that we, his church, can truly be like dew upon the desert of the nations, can be like showers of rain upon the thirsty grass of the world. So let me then conclude this morning with three questions for us, with three questions for us as we end one year and begin another. Three questions to reflect on. First, have you been delivered in Christ from your ultimate enemies? Have you been delivered in Christ from your ultimate enemies, from sin and death? Do you even see see your own sin as your ultimate enemy? Or do you see some other person or some other nation or some other philosophy or cultural movement as your ultimate enemy? Do you know who your true enemy is? And if so, how have you sought victory against that enemy? Are you trying to defeat sin and death with your own efforts? With your own social status or reputation? With your own religious observance or moral achievements? Or are you trying to numb yourself to the reality of sin and death? Trying to numb yourself with entertainment or possessions or shallow affirmation from others. How are you trying to seek victory? Because the only way that we can find true deliverance from our ultimate enemies of sin and death and judgment is by trusting in the one who swallowed up our ultimate judgment, our ultimate death for sin in himself, and then rose again in victory over these enemies who conquered them like a lion among beasts in the forest. So have you placed your ultimate trust in the risen Christ in our ultimate victorious king? The one who comes to bring us the true rest, the true salvation that we need. Has your heart come to rest in him alone? Are you trusting something else, someone else, for your salvation, for your victory, to deliver you have you found this deliverance in Christ from your deadly enemies? But secondly, are you being delivered in Christ from your destructive idols? Are you being delivered in Christ from your destructive idols? What are the idols that need to be replaced in your heart? What are the things that your heart is resting in for ultimate security and life? Are they personal idols, like family and friends, or money or possessions? Are they political idols or cultural idols? Or even, are they church idols? Are they the the programs, the preferences, the traditions, the comforts that you unintentionally make ultimate in church, even over Christ himself, that cause and create division in the church? We should be united ultimately in our true worship of Christ alone. What are the idols that need to be replaced in your own heart? Because these idols, they may be really good things, like friends and family. Those are really good things. But these things cannot bring us the true deliverance, the true blessing that we need. They're not worthy of our ultimate worship. They can't satisfy our restless hearts because they weren't made to bear that weight. It's unfair to put that weight on them. So have you turned from these idols to the, the true, perfect image of God, to Christ himself, the Son of God, who paid the price for our idolatry, who rose us again to restore us to true worship of God, true communion and relationship with the Father? Because in Christ alone is the rest that our restless hearts are longing for. So have you found deliverance in Christ, from your destructive idols. And finally, thirdly, if you have found this deliverance in Christ, if you've been delivered by faith in Christ, then how are you blessing the world? How are you blessing the world? Because this deliverance, this blessing that God has worked, that he's brought us in Christ, this blessing was not meant, it's not meant to terminate with us. It's not meant to end with us. See, God's plan, his ultimate plan, is not just to bring us salvation in Christ so that we can have nice and comfortable and happy feelings about going to heaven when we die. He hasn't brought us this deliverance in Christ just so that we can consume pleasant programs for ourselves at church. No, God brought us this deliverance and blessing in Christ so that we can reflect his glory to the nations. So we can reflect his glory to the nations, to the world. So we can proclaim to the world through our words, through our actions, the beauty, the glory, the magnificence, the wonder. None of our church building, none of our programs, none of our political beliefs, none of our relationships, none of our our good character qualities, but the glory and beauty and wonder of Christ alone. He is the one we are called to reflect to the world. It is his blessing we are called to bring to the world a blessing that's not meant to end with us, but is to go through us like a river of living water to a dead and dying world. God brought us this deliverance that we could point people to Christ. And so we have to ask, what does the world think when they see the church today? What does the world think when they see the church, when they see Weymouth Community Church or the church in general? What do they think? Do they see us as, as moralistic and hypocritical? Do they see us as trying to earn or achieve salvation on our own? Do they see us as consumed with social or cultural or political idols? Do they see us as a backwards relic from a time now past? Or do they see us as dew in the desert? As rain upon parched grass? As a source of life and flourishing and blessing? How are we as a church bringing the blessing of Christ to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our workplaces, to our families? How are we sharing with others the deliverance and the blessing that we have in Christ? Because in Christ we were not delivered to be comfortable. In Christ we are not delivered to merely consume. In Christ we are delivered to bless. So let us embark on this new year, rejoicing and resting in the deliverance and the blessing that we have in Christ. And let us give everything we have to take this living water to a dry and desperate world. So let's pray together. Faithful Father, we thank you this morning that Nothing we experience, nothing we do. None of our failures, none of our hardships, nothing that happens in this world, none of that can undo your promises. None of that can undo or defeat your faithfulness. That you have already accomplished perfect deliverance in Christ. That you have already poured out the ultimate blessing that we need and have given us a way to receive that blessing and experience that blessing now and then ultimately for eternity. Lord, so give us the stability, give us the strength, give us the peace that comes from setting our hearts and mind on Christ, on this hope, this blessing we have in Christ. Help us not to fear uh, the enemies that we might face in this world. Help us to see the true enemies of sin and death. Help us to see how you've given us the victory in Christ. And so turn our hearts away from the idols that would consume us, the idols that call out to us. Help us to trust and find rest in Christ alone. And help us to share this blessing, this deliverance with the world for your glory, for their good, for the sake of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we'll finish by uh, standing and singing one final song together.
1: voice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He declares his work is finished. He has spoken this hope to me. Though the sun had ceased its shine, The had a hold on me but the son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed death was once my great opponent fear once had a hold on me but the son That we would be free indeed Yes, he rose That we would be free indeed Free from every bed of darkness Free to live and free to love Death is dead and Christ is risen It was finished upon that Savior and my God. I rejoice in Jesus' victory. It was finished upon that cross. It was finished upon that cross. It was finished upon
0: And that hope let us go into a new year with this word of benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.